because we're live at LeakyCon and reviewing Deathly Hallows Part 2. This is MuggleCast Episode 234 for July 15th, 2011. This special live episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. And by Hypable.com, a brand new entertainment website from the staff of MuggleNet. Visit Hypable for up-to-the-minute coverage of Harry Potter, The Hobbit, Merlin, True Blood, Doctor Who, Torchwood, Glee, and over 30 other fandoms. That's Hypable.com. H-Y-P-A-B-L-E dot com. Hello, everyone! Let's wait for Eric. Welcome to... MuggleCast Live in Orlando, episode 234. Very exciting. Uh, This is actually really exciting. It's a brand new development. Ben is now an employee here at the Royal Pacific Resort. Congratulations, Ben. Thank you. Got this shirt. Why are you wearing that? Huh? Why are you wearing that? Because I saw it in the gift shop, and I was like, hey. So... I decided to buy a I thought you were like, shirt. hmm, now that Harry Potter's done, I need a new job. I know. I'll, I'll, yeah. just, I'll just live next to Hogwarts well, for the all rest of my Well, all of my, uh, my MuggleNet shirts, you know, I had a steady diet of MuggleNet shirts for a long period of time, and they're all like, the logo's all worn down and everything, so. So just before, um, just before we, just before our panel here, there's a Pottermore presentation here. Actually, what I wanted to do, because I personally had a lot of questions while watching, so I wanted to get anybody's thoughts who, anybody have any comments or questions about Pottermore? Obviously, we don't have specific answers, but I thought it'd be good to have some sort of interactive discussion on Pottermore. So does anybody have any questions or comments about they, what they saw today? Here, you can come up first. And I have to say, oh, does that work? No. Well, maybe. You, it does, go is ahead it now. Open? Yeah. Oh, awesome. I, I just want to know how you can earn more money to buy more things. How you can what? Earn more money, the galleons, in your Gringotts bank so you can keep buying things. Well, I think what it is is it's... Well, first of all, I don't think it's like uh, Farmville style where you actually have to... (laughs) You actually have to pay real money to get uh, that... I think think what they're doing is they are giving you a certain money... A certain amount of money to start. And part of the beta process is... um, (laughs) <laughs> well, this is going to come out and knock me on the head with something. Uh, part, of the, part of the beta process is them figuring out how much money they should be giving you when you start with your account. So, y- well, What can you do with the money? You're going to be buying, like what you saw up on there, the, the potions and the, the different items. Uh, is, the school it, supplies. Is it going to be like The Sims where you can just hit shift plus and like, make your money like just Rosebud? go up? Nice yeah. reference. We should ask about cheat codes because everybody's like, oh my god, this is a video game. This is a video game. Uh, okay, here, here's another comment about Pottermore. What's your name? My name's Haley. Um, Hi, Haley. I, my major concern is the amount of time that you have to spend on the website to get extra information. Do you know if, like, to get all of J.K. Rowling's extra text, do you have to, st- like, sit there and click around and explore? Or can you just access the information in a different way? Well, here's what I think, and I know they're going to hate that I'm saying this, but you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to create a site called... 
Potter po- All the new PottermoreInfo.com. And well, you just go to it, and you find everything just copy and pasted from Pottermore. Isn't that called MuggleNet? Yes. <laughs> we're announcing today our new Pottermore section, where we're going to uh, annoy the Pottermore people by just putting all the info. No, but I think the whole point of Pottermore is that you do have to explore. So you are going to have to go through it, um, of course, unless people actually copy and paste the info. Did anyone get a good look at the new stuff on the screen? Because it went by so fast. Uh, I looked at some of it. What's that? I looked at some of Mc- it. Mc- McGonagall was particularly interesting. I was hoping to see McGonagall fell in love with a woman, and it was, you know, big revelation. <laughs> Or, Dumbl- or McGonagall and Dumbledore got together and then Dumbledore realized it's not his type of thing. And then like, was- like McGonagall turned him? Right. <laughs> Next question here. Hi. Um, I, did, I was wondering, did they say um, how, or well, like, when they were releasing the new books? Like, what's the time period between They them? said Chamber of Secrets in the middle of next year. Okay. And then the other books over the next few years. I think that's actually one of the more exciting things about Pottermore is that there's going to be new books coming out for, what, three or four years? N- or new five? books? You mean like you experience the yeah. new book? The like- new experiences, yeah. So the Chamber of Secrets experience will be coming out next year. Right. Sorcerer's Stone obviously being right. the one that comes out this year. Thanks. Thank you. And just based on uh, the things that they are going to be able to do, like not only Sort You, but the Wizard Duels that's ongoing, it's going to completely fill the time in between uh, each release you know, of each book. Is it going to be like, are they going to have like parties? Like, I don't know, like people Release on parties? Skype, like in their pajamas, <laughs> like counting down and all that. Well, you know what? I'm, you'll honest- be able to get together with uh, members of your own house. So who knows? Honestly, though, you would think that would make sense because, you know, the night chamber secret or the eve of chamber secrets release on Pottermore, you're going to want to, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna be really looking forward to it because you're about to learn about all this new information. Learn all this new information. They did say though that they would not do chat rooms. They said that's not part of their part of their thing. Not do what? Chat rooms. Oh, chat rooms. Yeah. Yeah, but you can leave comments, which that's is right. Comment party. <laughs> Next question. Hi, uh, Cyrus from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I was just wondering if you guys think there's gonna be any Quidditch like involved, like playing Quidditch, anything like anything at all. There was something I read up there that said, uh, welcome to Hufflepuff, hope you enjoy Quidditch, because we haven't been that great over the years. So, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Oh. Hey, oh, no, wait a second. We have it here. You want to come up real quick? He, uh, she asked, who, who was that who was with Melissa? I forget his name. Jamie. Jamie. Really cool guy. Not our Jamie, though. I, I asked that after his presentation, and he said that it wasn't going to be so much an interactive thing, like, that it's not like a game or anything. Right. You wouldn't be flying on a broom. Right. But it is a chapter in the book. Like, cool. there's, you know, there's the flying lesson, but I think you might just watch. Okay. Like, there might just be pictures or something. Cool. It'll be one of the clear. moments, I think. Yeah. And you'll probably learn more about Quidditch. And didn't Joe say you are going to learn more about Quidditch? I think during the press conference, the Pottermore press conference, she well, had said that uh, she does have a thing, uh, a dialogue between Harry and Dumbledore, where Dumbledore explains Quidditch. Someone back me up. I'm not the only one who read that. Cool. Yeah? It makes, okay. Just it makes sense, it. too, because how many chapters in the Harry Potter books are dedicated just to Quidditch? Or one Quidditch match, the Quidditch final... 
and things like so that. So you think Dumbledore is gonna, you know, make some profound explanation for how Quidditch it's gonna is blow really like a metaphor away. for life or something <laughs> like that? How would that go? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about choices and all that. All how does that, that go? Stuff. How does that it go? It is our choices. <laughs> Next question. I'm honestly kind of curious if they're going to start like having like new merchandise because they showed us all the new house crests and I kind of wonder if they're going to like you know make patches or something or like I mean like they actual said, merchandise like actual Physical merchandise. Mer- I mean you know they do ebooks so they have a shop so they have plans for a shop. Yeah. Well, what if they expand that shop to include like T-shirts with the crests or something? Like now they they of- did stress that uh, Pottermore was completely free, but. Yeah, I believe that was what well, they were the talking e-books. about the content. They were talking about the content. Right, the ebooks are the so things that you have to pay. They're going to sell ebooks. I don't know. I have a feeling that uh, a lot of this content that's created specifically for, for Pottermore is going to remain on Pottermore as a prize, as something special to the following. Because this is a thank you, not a please pay up. Yeah. Uh, of, well, I mean, like the ebooks are still paid for, so. Yeah. Right, ebooks, yeah. 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 Which, which will be interesting how they do it because you're traveling through the books on Pottermore, but then you have the opportunity to buy the ebooks. So they're two separate things. It's not because you don't have to buy the ebooks to participate and right. somehow still follow every scene in each book. Right. Pottermore is Joe's gift to the fan, but still buy the books. Wink. Yeah. Now, are they going to, is there going to be like a leaderboard, like where it's like, oh, this person is our number one fan kind of thing? <laughs> well, you're supposed to be a student, so I don't think they would call you a fan. You would just be a student. Oh. But I remember on the graphic up on the one of the slides up here, they did show a little lead, leaderboard, I think, on the house pages. And it may be for best duelers or something like that. Yeah, but you can earn points for your house. Makes sense. House points. That, that too, of course. Uh, Miss Waldo is right here <laughs> asking a question. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Aya, not Miss Waldo. Um, my sock monkey is really excited to see you. But, well, thanks um, for coming. Thank you. I was just wondering how how you guys thought they would be able to... Um, manage the content aside from choosing our username for us because there's, you know, artwork and comments and... You mean like moderating it? Yeah, moderating I mean, it all? because it's supposed to be child appropriate. You right. know, there's just so much. Well, I think they're going to have a lot of filters in place to make sure that there's nothing inappropriate that goes up. And then, of course, they could always delete stuff if something inappropriate goes up. But and Wasn't that what that whole follow the owl thing was about? Because they were um, like, like a million special people get to be like the... Beta test. Beta test. Yeah. The, um, I forget where I was going with that, but do you think that? <laughs> yes. Do you think that they might get to be like moderators or something no, like that? No, I don't think so. But I, I think, I think the, Kevin Stack actually worked on that. Yeah, did he? That's where he's been the last three years on MuggleCast. <laughs> <laughs> what about Jamie? Where is he? He was just here. He, he did this presentation. That Pottermore presentation. Trust the Brit. Trust the Brit. Now he's he's in he's in England. I, Sorry. Why? <laughs> Jamie, Jamie died. Okay, let's get... Okay. No. Uh, no, he didn't really die. <laughs> he was on the show a few weeks ago, right? Okay, before we continue with this live episode of MuggleCast from Orlando at LeakyCon, we'd like to remind everybody that this week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. One audiobook to consider is Water for Elephants, a book that was recently turned into a film starring Rob Pattinson and Reese Witherspoon. 
It's an atmospheric tale of life and love in a Depression-era traveling circus. So for a free audiobook of your choice, such as Water for Elephants, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. And now let's get back to the show. Hi. Um, so me and my fiance were just like vehemently uh, debating about this issue of the sorting um, whether maybe some fans wouldn't want the houses that they've identified with for years and years sort of messed with, they, it's kind of personal, or whether, you know, Joe's method might be like, you know, the ultimate authority, like she, she devised this way that you're sorted and whether that should really be the, right. what people accept themselves in. So pretty much what are your thoughts on the sorting process? You know what? You bring up a really good point. I mean, some people who started reading the books maybe as early as Sorcerer's Stone and, you know, in 1998 or 97, they, they read the books. They read the book, that first book, and were like, wow, I'm a Ravenclaw. And for the past 15 years, they've called themselves a Ravenclaw. And then to go on this and be told you're not Ravenclaw, like, that's got to sting a little bit. Yeah. I mean, all that goes to show is that you don't know yourself very well. (laughs) Because if you knew yourself, you would know what house you actually are. And I think that, so many people are in denial about their house. Like, you can't just pick your own house. Like, that's not how it works. Harry you don't, did. Oh, Harry okay, did. Okay, he, Harry he, suggested it. And he would have done well in Slytherin and all that. But, um, Eric, are you going to buy new robes if you don't get into Gryffindor? Uh, I might. I also have a Cedric Diggory outfit. So it's, I got at least two of the houses covered. So I think Joe's corrupted us because yeah. everybody's like... like Back when I first read the books, everyone I talked to claimed to be a Gryffindor, you know, just because Harry was a Gryffindor. And I think there needs to be more uh, house diversity. And I think if you get sorted into another house, like, you know, don't close out your account and, like, retake the test to get into the house you want to be in. Just, like, accept it. Yeah, he stressed that there was only one chance at this. So it seems like they've had that uh, decision made for quite some time that, you know, like it or not, it is going to be in some ways definitive and by the only person who can make it definitive, J.K. Rowling herself. But the other thing is that the books are slandered, that they, 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 you know, they show more Gryffindor. So when he did say that we'd learn more about Hufflepuff, perhaps if, you know, I take the quiz and I'm disappointed a little bit at being sorted into Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff actually has the most new content. So to look at it, you know, that way, and I'd learn a little bit more about it and maybe understand a little bit uh, better why I was chosen for that house. Next question or comment. Um, I was kind of wondering um, if you guys could kind of provide more insight on the uh, username process because I was wondering why them choosing a username for you would kind of keep us more child friendly. I don't really Sorry, the what that. process? Like, you know how they choose a username for us? Oh, yeah. How I don't really get how that really works. That's all. Well, so. because so you can't do a username like something we probably shouldn't mention here. You know what I mean? You, so you couldn't use an expli- uh, ex- explicit word. An expletive. Well, there's that, but there's also, you can tell children to say, well, don't reveal any identifying information like lives it for right. private drive, little whinging Surrey at Pottermore.com. You know. Right. So this, in this way, they've used words like moon and crescent and, and right. cat. And it'll yeah. be really cool to be, because it's, it's also, it's like something you get directly from Joe, too, is another alias. Which yeah, but, but she's, she, it's not, that's not really from Joe. I mean, you know. Well, it's from the construct that is Pottermore. And so everything that we see here is going to be tied directly back to Joe. And Joe is responsible for everything we find on there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Next question. I'm a little curious about how the house cup is going to work in the sense that since we're following through the books, like at the end, will Slytherin be winning and then suddenly Gryffindor wins? Like, are we, <laughs> are we guaranteed? Like, I'm guessing it feels like it's not obviously going to be the, the exact same results as the books, or is it like, so it's just the internet community that's actually going to have to fight each other to win and like, what house will actually win in the end? Well, maybe that just won't be a moment in. Because didn't he, he said the, the House Cup will, winner will be right before they release the next book? Right. Yeah. So right before they release in 2012, when they're about to release Chamber of Secrets, we're going to find out who actually wins, whether it's Gryffindor, mm. Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Yeah, or that's interesting. I'm, just, that's, I'm curious about that. But maybe Joe will submit an alternative ending with, that, with, the, with the winning, winning House Cup, or the person who, wins the, uh, who won the House Cup. That's just a joke. Don't worry. Next question. Hey guys, you know, the first time I saw this when they unveiled the Pottermore thing, mm -hmm. I was really afraid about people with websites or people like me who are thinking about, you know, making a site. I looked at this and I thought, oh, she's trying to like close down all the people that have their own websites or something like that. Nah. Copyright getting into that. I'm still a little worried about that. What do you guys think about, you know, people who just want to have their own site? I mean, well, what this do you is mean a substitute for that, right? What do you mean? Well, yeah, one of the things they've said from the start, to the fan sites is that this is nothing to compete with you guys. This is something entirely new. And of course it doesn't compete with us because there's all this new information by Joe. Right, there's <laughs> so, the Harry Potter lexicon and I want to see that sites. going on. Yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Oh, I said I think Pottermore is actually a help to anybody who's Definitely. reporting on Harry Potter and, you know, the Harry Potter brand online in general. Yeah, it, it definitely gives us more content, more to talk about on podcasts. Right. All right, second to last question. Hey. All right, um, you guys are the best, so thank you so much. Thanks. Um, and my question is about the sorting. If you're sorting into Gryffindor, will you ever find out about Hufflepuff? Or like, yeah, that's an issue, houses? right? Yeah. Where's check check MuggleNet for check, more yeah. info on, on the Hufflepuffs. <laughs> We're gonna have all the all the information right there for you. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. She kind of jacked my question, but I have another question related to hers. If uh. Let's just say that you are in Hufflepuff, and of course you are going to get more information with Hufflepuff. Let's say that uh, MuggleCast or whatever decides to take that information. Is that all going to be copyrighted, or are we going to be able to share what, that? Oh, re oh, yeah, there will definitely be cease and desist I kind of figured that there would be, but I, I was just wondering like, how we're all going to be able to find out, like she said, you know, the information. Yeah, like the other houses, because I mean, there's going to be so much information that we're never going to find out. Because the accounts are going to be locked to where you can only get one house unless you want to share it. You know, with the internet these days, this stuff is everywhere. Oh, yeah, sure. people yeah. will find a way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we'd love to post it on MuggleNet, and they'll probably be like, ha ha, no, take yeah. it down. Uh, but yeah, it'll always be there. You know, yeah. you know, with leaks these days, like when, when photos from the films leak, and they, they go up on MuggleNet and Leaky and all the other sites, and then they also go up on Tumblr, and then WB is like, take that down right mm -hmm. now. And we're like... But it's being tumbled everywhere. You can't, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate struggle. But do you think J.K. Rowling, well, I think that's something they're probably going to work on through time, figure out how to not isolate uh, the fans by 75% if they are only giving them specific house content. Um, 
that said, you know, it is the Hufflepuff or, or Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, Slytherin logo that you're going to see when you log in. And, and you know, they are, they're tailoring the specific information. So it's just, it really is a question. Are they going to, you know, leave it to us to have a, a hub, which I, you know, I think they'll probably find another way, maybe even down the line to give you the same information, but not right away. They're going to jumpstart you with information that pertains to your house to give you a more uh, interactive experience. But what if there are, like, house secrets, you know, where, like, it's, like, secret information that pertains to just your house that you don't want to tell anybody else about because it would be, like, telling your family secrets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe click the button, take the unbreakable vow. Okay, so now let's talk about the movie. Everybody saw Harry Potter and Death of Alice Part 2 last night? Who cried? Did anybody cry? Raise your hand if you cried. Okay, I want to I want to talk about that first, and that's gonna this is gonna upset some people. But I've heard numerous complaints about the sobbing. About what? The sobbing. The people crying. It was so loud. It was so loud. Right. <laughs> let's let's re- yeah. Let's right. recount our experience. Well, listen, it, it is it is justified. It is justified. The sobbing. Uh, um. I shed twice. I shed, I shed a single tear, but I was also reaching over Ben, uh, consoling someone else. So it was like I was I was you know taking care of someone else, and then it was a big ordeal. It was just like, uh, listen, I'm not well, complaining about the sobbing, but I've heard from an alarming amount of people who are actually annoyed at people crying. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of started off the film with a double whammy. It's like here lies Dobby, free elf, and then Harry's like looking at the mirror, and it's like, wow, this this sucks. But, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. What did you guys? What did? Were you guys? Was ever, was anybody else upset by the sobbing? Like, I feel like it almost. In, in at least our theater, it got into a competition. Like, who could start sobbing the most? <laughs> so like, you would just hear like. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm here to watch a film, not watch you cry. <laughs> it's right. It was two completely different experiences because when I saw the movie on Saturday, it was with a bunch of press who, you know, had no idea what was going to happen in the film, and there's no real emotion. And then you go and see it with everybody else who's actual fans of the series. Just completely different experience. Right. Yeah. It was brutal because like it started like I would say about 45 minutes to an hour in was when the real tears started going, and just it became this competition where it was just you know at first you would hear just. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then somebody else on the other side was like, <laughs> it's just like a just a chorus and it, you know it's, it's like, it's like the du- what's that yourself. song called the dueling uh, banjos you know yeah what are you gonna say no you say, gonna- it's like you're preparing yourself you know the moment's coming when the scene's gonna show up <laughs> and you're trying to say, how how much are people gonna cry you know what are they gonna do yeah Somebody, somebody, somebody told me like there was a there was somebody crying even just before Snape died because they knew what was going to happen. So they were like preparing themselves, you know, like when you're about to go over Splash Mountain, you just start screaming ahead of time. At least that's what I do. I don't know if everybody else does that. Yeah, I mean, can we blame them? Yes. No. Well, and on the opposite end, as somebody just said, what about the cheering? I mean, there was a lot of great cheering there too. Was, yeah, but that's a lot more positive than like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels bad. I mean, I I kind of little bit lost it when you know he's all talking to his dead parents and stuff. Like when when I read the book, that scene re- like really resonated with me. But 
Yeah, I mean, when that happened, I was like, whoa, this this got real. And I, what surprised me was how quickly, that didn't surprise me, like, this was part two, but, like, they just went right into the action, you know? Yep. Was, there was no no messing around, which I thought was awesome. Mm. Um, at one point, I tried to get the audience clapping with me because I felt like occasionally there was just like, I couldn't figure out why everybody decided at that moment to cheer for any specific reason. So what I did personally was at one point, I just went, yeah, but it didn't catch on at all. It was really bad. In, in fact, Andrew, the, uh, the kids were at our screening and I, I saw them look at you when you did that. They, uh, you're very impressionable. Yeah. And then I don't know if anybody else had this issue. But we were sitting in front of Andrew Slack, the guy from the HP, uh, Harry Potter Alliance. And this, and I love Andrew, but for God's sake, he's sitting there. And you, you know those chairs, they need some WD-40 on them. They're, kinda, they're squeaky. So he would just do, he would start leaning back, but he does it really slow. And it, these are crucial scenes, quiet moments, and you just hear, and you, you, you like petted his head at one point. I just like put my foot up on his seat to try and stop him because like, what are you doing? Do you not hear this? Suffice Sorry, to Andrew. say, though, the eighth Harry Potter film moved him. <laughs> Doors that way, buddy. Just kidding. That's funny. So uh, let's talk about favorite scenes. Ooh, all of them. Uh, Prince's Tale. I think. Is that generally everybody's favorite scene? A comment... Well, we'll we'll get to them all. We'll get to them all. A comment um, a lot of people I've been hearing and Melissa brought up on the Leaky Mug yesterday was that Alan Rickman deserves an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And it's and it's deservedly so because in the other films you kind of see Alan as or Snape as you know the way he he he's he is a great Snape but you really don't see any emotion out of him until this one and I think it really struck people and that's why now they're saying you know Snape uh, or Alan Rickman best supporting actor what do you guys think of that scene you're crying already or having yeah, an allergy I'm just crying or thinking about it. <laughs> Not, not really. Not like, really. The, there's something with the lights and my nose and all this stuff. <laughs> like, honestly, I wish I could remember more of like the movie. Like, it was all like it was just all such a blur between all the cheering and the clapping and the crying and Andrew Slack moving his seat. Like, <laughs> then all next thing I know, the credits show up and I'm just like, whoa, what? How did that happen? Michael, what do you think? I, I just thought it was a great scene, an amazing scene. What other ones did you guys want to talk about? McGonagall. And I assume, I assume you're talking about the moment she walks out onto the steps and says, do your duty to the school. Yeah? Oh, and fighting Snape, too. Defending Harry, yeah. Yeah. Personally, my favorite was the moment when she walks out and brings the statues to life. I mean, that was great. And that was another, that was another one of those applause cues where everybody really applauded. What did, what did you think about the line she gave after that, though? Yeah, I didn't like that. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like when she said, oh, I've always wanted to do that spell. Just because as somebody who's such an, she's an older witch and she's just doing the spell now for her first time. I mean, granted, okay, this may be like the first battle where she has to bring the statues to life, but she's never brought statues to life before. I don't know. It just, it, it was just a moment of comic relief that I felt wasn't needed because she just delivered these really badass lines and then she has to do this little joke. Well, well maybe Dumbledore used to be the one who did like, who activated all the statues and stuff and he never let her do it because it was like it was his thing so now she's like finally <laughs> okay 
That's true. Wasn't he transfiguration teacher? He used to be. Uh, Dumbledore used to be the transfiguration teacher. The line about Seamus. Or, oh, oh, the boom? Yeah. What was it? The, um, was it the penchant for blowing things up? Or pyrotechnics. Pi- pa, pa, pa. Pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. She does alliteration. It was yeah. great fun. Yeah. But, no, uh, it was great. Um, the was really good. What other scenes? Ne- Snape, well, yeah, we talked about, I mean, we didn't talk specifically about that one. Snape, Snape holding, Snape holding Lily's body, which is not in the book, right? Yeah, that, that was another one of those sobbing cues. That was a big one. That was a big one. Wait, um, Draco and Voldemort hugged? Well, ben, it was kind of one-sided. Ben, Draco, was, Draco was crossing the courtyard. You know, he hoped to get away scot-free, and Voldemort kind of suckered him into like a, like a nice little... Yeah. Ben turned to me at that moment, and he said, Why is everyone laughing? And I was like, Well, because Snape and Voldemort... Or Draco and Voldemort are hugging. It was just... But you know what I thought about that? I may have brought this up yesterday to somebody. It was... Voldemort was so good in this film, because he... Um, Ray Fiennes kind of pulled off like this... A joker from the Dark Knight, where he's so evil, but also crazy and just silly, and moments like that. And then there's also a moment, I think a little before that, where um, Voldemort makes a little noise. He just goes like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I think that was when one of his horcruxes was destroyed. He just, oh, it was yeah. just a shot of him, and he was like, ooh. <laughs> and then it, he like took it all in, but the camera didn't move. Speaking of that, um, those those realization scenes where you see um, where you, where you see Harry and Voldemort both realize that another Horcrux has been killed, where where Harry experiences Voldemort's pain. Uh, the one part was when uh, the one time when Harry jumps into the lake and then he comes out, and Voldemort realizes that um, that the that the cup has been stolen, and you know he j- you just see him freak out. And then there was another one later on, which was around that time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, each time, Harry learns what the next Horcrux is or where to start to find yeah. the next Horcrux, which I thought was... I mean, it's different from the books where, you know, Voldemort... He has that memory where Voldemort, you know, first learns that Harry's destroying the Horcruxes, which I think happened a lot sooner in the movie. Um, but just the whole pattern made it really flow a lot better, you know, Harry's journey to destroying the Horcrux and kind of explaining how that can realistically be achieved. Yeah. What other favorite scenes should we talk about? Oh, Neville. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Neville. Um, and then I think I heard Bellatrix. We should talk about her. So Neville, as in the books, he has this huge comeback. I mean, he becomes he becomes the hero, killing Nagini. Um, yeah, what, what do you guys... Anyone want to talk about that? He's, he's, he rigs the bridge with explosives. <laughs> he's, he's got cuts and scrapes. He can walk through portraits. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't like. This is. You guys are gonna hate me for this, but I did not like Neville. Neville in this, like making that comeback. I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't. I was actually just annoyed by Matt Lewis. <laughs> Sorry, because because it just sort of comes out of nowhere. It's like suddenly, suddenly he's the hero. And I know in the book you you understand it more, but I don't know. Maybe I just don't like Matt Lewis. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I do. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Everybody loved it. Everybody got, everybody got all fired up, so. There's no build-up, no build up, right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dobby thing. It just it just comes out of nowhere. I'm just repeating what he's. Well, something that um, something that made me unhappy about not Neville and Luna, but I mean changing <laughs> changing gears here a little bit. The the death scene where Voldemort dies and he just kind of like evaporates and turns into confetti. I didn't I didn't like that. Yeah, and what about Bellatrix too? When she just kind of bursts confetti. into pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Fatality. But so, how did everybody like um, Julie Waters' delivery of of the line? Give it up! Give it up! <laughs> Give it up for Molly Weasley! Yeah! <laughs> so she she and in the books it's all caps. So I think you probably would have expected a giant scream. But sort it, of. It was more of like. Not my daughter. Like it was like really slow and kind of deliberate. Yeah. They did the same thing in the first book with Hagrid. What? Here, come on up to the mic. When Harry first meets uh, Hagrid in the book, it's all caps when Uncle Vernon insults Albus. Oh, Elvis, yeah. And he's like, don't you, un-, like, all caps. But And then in the movie, he was just like, don't you insult him. <laughs> and it, was, it was the same thing with that. So did you guys like that more stern change? The more serious, not my daughter, you bitch. Yeah. Plus, I mean, they're a lot closer quarters, it seems, in the, in the movie. You know, they're, like, right next to each other. And, and even though she's, she's emotional, I thought they, they really um, built the per- performance around that. That line was, you know, the way she delivered it was the way she felt she would deliver it, you know, as opposed to just screaming her head off. So there was more sort of a, a daring kind of, uh, what is it, um, getting a rise out of Bellatrix by, by intimidating her. You know, be... That's, that's true. That... that they, it was were, very quick. They were going between the scenes of Harry chasing Voldemort and, you know, the rest of the battle. I heard a report from another screening that uh, people obviously knew the, the, the big line was about to come up. And somebody, like, screamed in advance of the big line hitting because it was like, oh, my God, it's about to happen. Ah! And then I, apparently that person who heard that was annoyed by that. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, in in the trailer talk episodes, the part two trailer talk, we we discussed how Voldemort quite frequently in the trailer goes <laughs> like what twelve times or something, but yeah. not in not in this movie at all. Once, what? Not not once. Nope. <laughs> they Maybe they once? heard all the complaints and they're like, let's cut out this silly. Sound. That's I'm I'm glad they got them all out of their way with the with the previews. That that line I was so worried about it. Well, you know what else they cut to the the whole why do you live, which they used in all yeah. the trailers. Yes, and let's talk about let's get into that whole discussion now. Uh, and actually, David Yates, I think it was Yates, he brought it up at the U.S. press press conferences. There's the line in the trailer, why do you live? Because I have something to live for. And he said they decided to cut it out because. Voldemort would kill Harry in that moment. Yeah. You know, he's holding him he's holding him by the by the clutches and so he decided to cut it out for that reason. But then that made me think, well, this scene still bothers me so much when Harry pulls Voldemort over the cliff. It, it's not it's not in the book at all. Harry or Voldemort would just kill him. And they don't touch each other. That's what bothered me about it. Harry and Voldemort never physically touch each other. But but they can. They can touch each other now that they have the same blood. So why not use that to build more tension with, you know, there's these two worthy adversaries that are just uh, grabbing each other in midair and flying. It makes for good spectacle, but it's also, it also symbolizes the fact that they can't kill each other. Ever since they were given the same wand, they, they just can't kill each other. Uh, and that's... And, 
And, w- and one of the reasons was the cinematic purpose, too. I mean, you know, cinematically, you needed this big kind of epic fall through the castle, and their heads merge. That was another goofy thing. <laughs> and then they end up in the courtyard, which, of course, is a change from the book where the big duel's in the Great Hall. Which did that, and nobody was there either. So did that, did that bother you guys? Hold on, we'll get, we'll get, yes! But, but we knew it was coming, in fairness, at least. So, yeah. and we, I guess we talked about that, I probably on the first trailer episode, we were like, wait, they're not in the Great Hall, and nobody's around them. Yeah. I mean, Harry did still get that moment where he calls Voldemort Tom, which I thought was a, a big move for, for Harry. If he says it in front of everybody else, he's kind of just, I don't know, impersonating Dumbledore, where Dumbledore would be that cool all the time. You know, people. I, I don't know. I thought it. You know, they found time to kind of make the the emotional journey. Yeah. In- Comment. I was in the same battle, the thing that bothered me more than them flying off the cliff and doing the whole face bother thing, face squish thing, which was ridiculous. Um, when Voldemort is choking Harry with his robes, and he ha- he's got him. He should kill him in that moment. And then they cut away to another scene. I think it's uh, Ron and Hermione in the chamber. And then when they cut back. Harry has somehow miraculously come free from the robes. And it's like, why wouldn't the robes just keep squeezing him till he died? Because then there's no wand fighting, and then right. he's just dead. At what point did Voldemort say, okay, I'll stop? Exactly. It just didn't make any sense. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a funny point. Maybe Harry used magic. Yeah, but he seems stuck at the time. Um, uh, what else? They, well, hold on. They killed, they killed Lavender. And... and did they? Which is not what happens in the books, right? Well, f- it doesn't happen in the books. And you see, you see Fen- Fenrir. If anybody has a comment, uh, I mean, well, okay, somebody has a comment coming up right now. Um, Fenrir, you see him go like vampire style on Lavender, like bending over and like sucking blood out of her neck or just eating her, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Um, comment? I know why Voldemort dropped him. Why? Because they destroyed the Hucrux. Oh. oh, the snake. Okay. And that. And that's how no, the cup? didn't... Ah, uh, my bad. But when they killed the snake in 3D, wasn't that really cool? <laughs> oh, that was the one part where it kind of jumps out at you a little bit, right? Yeah, the 3D. Can we talk about the Valdi fetus? <laughs> <laughs> like the, the bloody Valdi fetus at yeah. the end? Like, that was disgusting. So we're jumping ahead to King's Cross. It, it was shocking because it's this beautiful, white, clean King's Cross in the words of Harry. And then you do, there's, just, there's, just, there's just this cut to this disgusting fetus under the bench. And it was striking, and everybody in the theater went, oh. But, you know, great they included it. It's in the book, so. That, um, that was up there, too, I think, for me, favorite scenes, King's Cross. I mean, Dumbledore, Michael Gammon has gotten so good. It, he, he was. I didn't like him in Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, or the Phoenix. Eh. Hapwood Prince. I thought he was pretty good. But then Part Two. Just he was. He was just a content Dumbledore. Really proud of Harry. You just really felt his care for you know Harry, my dear boy, or something like that. <laughs> um, Comment. Got, oh yeah, I've got something to say about King's Cross when. Uh, Dumbledore changes the line from help will be oh, help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask to those who deserve. I feel like that was why would you change that? I mean, I didn't like it at all. I was just wondering what your opinion was. I, I wonder if it was because Richard Harris said the first line and this was more his delivery on it, his take on it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. The comment was everybody who helped at Hogwarts deserved it. So that's why Dumbledore was kind of revising his statement. I just thought it was kind of a touching moment because, you know, Dumbledore right before that, he says how powerful words can be. And then then now he's kind of having this realization of, you know, oh, wow, I'm changing a statement I've said before. Uh, You know, I'm revising something after this huge battle. But but is Dumbledore God or something? Because I don't get like he died and now he's like I'm you know anybody who deserves it like I'm gonna be there. (laughs) Well, it's all in Harry's head, so it may not have happened. Right. That was awesome when they put that. Was that up? No, wait a second. That was Finding Hogwarts. (laughs) They they put that up at the end. Wrong movie. I'm sorry. Yesterday was a blur. (laughs) Another comment. Yeah. Um. Back to the final battle, I was kind of bothered by the fact that there wasn't really a corpse for Bellatrix or for Voldemort. They just both sort of exploded. I thought that was kind of weird. Right, because you see all these dead bodies everywhere, and then the bad guys dissolve. Yeah. It's like, where did they go? Like, how do you know they're actually dead if there's no body? In in 3D, they went all over the, the theater. No, Phil, what, actually, 3D, I, I do not like seeing movies in 3D. I had to keep, like, taking off, like, my goggles and, you know, like, wiping the fog off of them and, like, all that <laughs> stuff. And I, it started, seriously started giving me a headache. I found myself watching part of the movie in, like, the fuzzy 2D version because of that. I had an awkward moment at the beginning of my screening where I put on my glasses and I turned to my friend Kevin and I'm like, the These 3D is work. not working. Is it not working for you? And he's like, you're wearing your sunglasses. I'm like, oh. <laughs> my sunglasses look just, just like the 3D glasses. Um, what were we just talking about before? I had another comment about that. Uh, how Bellatrix and Voldemort died. Oh, yeah. Bodies. I was going to say maybe when they disintegrated, maybe it just came up in a pile of dirt and Filch just swept it beyond the veil or something like he that. He did have the broom. That was a funny moment, wasn't it, when Filch is trying to sweep up the castle? <laughs> okay, um... Sorry, I'm just looking at uh, the breakdown here. So, what is everybody's favorite film now? <laughs> Somebody said part one, but is the general... Uh, uh, applaud if it's part two. That's actually not as many as I thought. Applaud if it was... Um, okay, let's just go through them. Sorcerer's Stone. Chamber of Secrets. Prisoner of Azkaban. Goblet of Fire. Order the Phoenix. <laughs> I'll p- give David Yates a break. <laughs> um, Sorcerer's Stone, yeah! How about uh, Half Blood Prince? Part one. Part two. Okay, now that's a lot louder. <laughs> what? Yeah, we said Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, whoops. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yesterday, I, yesterday I talked on the Leaky Mug about Deathly Hallows on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, seeing the overall tomato score, and now it's up to ninety-eight percent, which is absolutely fantastic. Wow! So, after so many ticket sales, which we have the actual sales figures, it actually increased in a percentage of reviews. That's after everybody saw it. By the way, Winnie the Pooh, which also opened uh, today, ninety percent, which is very impressive. That's- I'm going to uh, PooCon over at Disney and going to that midnight screening. That sounds Poo- terrible. Not, I will not be at PooCon. <laughs> Sorry, WinnieCon. WinnieCon. Uh, one of those. That, that's pretty impressive, though. 
I don't know. Now I'm getting ideas for PooCon. What could be at PooCon? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, so, well, everybody up here, what is your favorite film now of... Eric? My favorite film is probably... Um, uh, so hard. Um, it's like asking who's your favorite child. Kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Well, they're not my children, but... Um, uh, yeah, I think um, Order of the Phoenix might be my favorite film. Micah? I think part two. Yeah. Benjamin? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of see Goblet of Fire. I'll just pick a random one. <laughs> Rooting for the underdog. That one got the least applause out in the crowd. I feel like saying part two is very cliche because after every film, there's a table and somebody puts his hand down on the desk and he says, best film ever. And, but, and like we brought up on the Leaky Mug yesterday, then you know a couple days later, everybody starts complaining about all the things wrong with the film after calling it the best one yet. <laughs> but part two, I really think, is the best one yet. Partially because it is the end. I mean, it was bound to be fantastic. I think it would have been very hard to screw up this battle scene. And now that I say that, I kind of regret that because they really did do such an amazing job with it. Ray Fiennes just stood out to me so much. I just loved his Voldemort in this one. It was crazy. It was silly. It, you know, you, have, you couldn't help but laugh at some of the things he was doing. He was just out of his mind. You're right. And it had closure, which none of the other films before it could really have. Comment? Um, I just wanted to say, I can't really pick between part one and part two just because I feel like they're the same movie. Yeah. I mean, they're the same book, and just the way it picks up from the beginning, it's so it's such a smooth transition that it, yeah. it's just the same movie for me. If I was going to watch it, if I'm sitting at home when both of the DVDs come out, I'm probably going to watch them both. Yeah. That's one, of the, one of the things I'm looking forward to is seeing part one and two back to back, I guess when the DVDs come out. Because that's what, four and a half hours of Potter, and yeah, it's so going to be great. Does the audience think that together, movie seven and movie eight will make, you know, if we could combine them, they make the best movie? Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't talk about Aberforth. <laughs> Aberforth. Did, didn't I say something to you? Like, yeah, the, the, I'll, I'll set it up. Ben, Ben. I, you want even me to say this? I wasn't going to, but Ben, t- you know when Aberforth passed, uh, cast the Patronus? Um, this is so embarrassing for you, but okay. Ben, ben turns to me and he says, Who's the Dumbledore look like? <laughs> it's like, it's Aberforth. I, like I said, I was in a whirlwind. I didn't know what was going on. So. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, kind of related to that. That's, he's played by Kieran Hines, and if you see pictures of Kieran Hines, he does not look like Aberforth at all. I mean, they did such a great job with Aberforth's costume, and you were right. They, they did their job. He really does look like Dumbledore. And I think that moment where you see him cast a Patronus and the camera kind of sweeps in on him, you're but supposed to have that goat? feeling of like, oh, Dumbledore's here. Where was the goat? His Patronus is a goat. Because everybody would have been like, a goat? What? I still want to know what he was doing to the goats. Like, I think maybe maybe we'll find that out on hey, Pottermore. Pottermore. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Pottermore is child friendly. We're not going to be getting any uh, big revelations like that. <laughs> that's that's for PottermoreX.com. Pottermore unrated. Um, where where else are we going with this? The wand. The wand. What about the wand? 
when he snaps it in half? Oh, okay. You know, okay, I liked him getting rid of the wind and breaking it in half because it's sort of, it's one of those classic film moments. Okay, one at a time. Oh, the Phoenix wand. So he uses the Elder Wand to repair his previously unmendable. Well, he does, though. Uh, character up front says he doesn't have a wand. He has Draco's. It's not Draco's wand anymore. Ollivander says in the beginning of the film that it changed allegiance to Harry's wand. Was anyone bothered by, was anyone bothered by the fact that he snapped it and just... See, but, I like that from, obviously, not a book perspective, but it's sort of like I'm getting rid of this item because it's dangerous and I, I don't want it to exist in the world anymore. I just took it as that way, and I thought it was kind of a noble thing for him to do. Uh, but you guys, there is good news. You can go over to the Wizarding World and buy one. Still intact. Okay, remind me. He just, like, snapped it. Yeah. The Elder Wand. Yeah. But, okay, this, this wand that's, like, has all there? this lore. Did, did you <laughs> no, I, I was there. I was there. I swear I was there. But how can you just snap the Elder Wand in half? Like, well, surely... He, oh, it was already fractured. Wow, I need to stop talking. I shoot myself in the foot here. Plus, they, they, I, I think also he he had the allegiance of the Elder Wand, and I think only the person with the allegiance of the Elder Wand should be able to break it. Otherwise, it should have it but put up a fight. Maybe. And that was a cool shot where the camera kind of zooms into the wand, and you can see it—the very small parts of it kind of disintegrating while Voldemort's holding it. That was cool. What well, about Gringotts? What about the actual scene, the dragon, all that stuff? That was neat. And as I brought up, now everybody can agree with me now because you know I'm right. Wizarding World, first expansion, they're going to be adding that Gringotts ride. I'm telling you. That, that ride comes with a price, which is that they have to build Diagon Alley, and that's just going to be more shops and less rides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't I do the laugh on the show? Uh, what? No, never mind. Of course there's going to be more shops. That's what, oh, yeah. You did, yeah, you did do the laugh. The, the Mr. Universal? Yes. Yeah, okay. So this, this is what Mr. Universal would say to Eric if Eric went in and said, Mr. Universal, I don't want Diagon Alley because it's just going to be more shops and one ride. Because <laughs> Mr. Universal likes his money. They put Ollivanders in Hogsmeade. Yeah, but can you imagine if Ollivanders wasn't in that park right now? Because Mr. Universal, again, really likes all that money for there. Um, has any has everybody done that wand experience? Like, I mean, been inside? It's it's really great because they usually pick a little kid. And, okay, some 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 older people. Uh, this he said, I got a beard and I got picked. Yeah, um, it's it's so good because the kid, or maybe you, or anyone else who got selected, is suddenly kind of coming to life. See you later, Eric. Um, it's it sort of just it comes to life. It's just like it's just like him being in the. It's just like being in the movie. Is there wind too? Okay. It feels like your Harry Potter says. Yeah, it's it's like yeah because the light comes up and it's it's actually as if you're there. But yeah, so I really think they're going to take that Gringotts thing where you're riding down that cart and that's going to be right. And then there's going to be through the escape and the fire is going to come out at you, uh, you know, from the dragon, uh, all that. It's all going to be there. Coming in uh, 2013. That's a guess, but they changed the cart. Oh, from the first movie. <laughs> well, they changed the Quidditch pitch, too, but that was for the better. You know, uh, there was more detail there. What did, what did you think of the sort of Jurassic Park uh, thing that they did with the, you know, as the dragon was coming up through the bank? What do you mean Jurassic Park? Well, it's like everything started shaking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And the goblins so, sl- slowly started noticing. 
Yeah. Do you remember that scene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, so we're going to have Ivana come. I don't think she's here yet. Eric probably went to go grab her or something. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but we, we can still take more questions. We can... Oh, yeah. Well, this is something we wanted, to, we wanted to have Ben do a Hagrid, Hagrid impression on the show. Oh, so. put me on the spot. Um, what line? Somebody cue him with a line. Oh, yeah. Ruby is Hagrid. Keeper of keys and games and... What is it again? Ruby is Hagrid. See, it's not, I'm not as good as I used to be. You're a wizard, Harry. I just want to say something about Eric Skolk when he's not around to defend himself. Um, I, I just want to say, like, he's so dedicated. He's been wearing those robes since, like, 2004. So, like, he hasn't changed out of those robes. He's been wearing them every day since then. Um, but, yeah, when he comes out, let's give him a round of applause for his robes because he's the man. Okay, so let's take some more questions now, and then we'll have Ivana come out in a little bit, and then we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Um, lots of people coming forth now to complain about various things. Yeah, it can't be all roses in here. Let's uh, come on what up. Did, or go ahead. What did you think of the fact that he killed all the Horcruxes with the Basilisk Fang? Sorry, say that. I can't. What did you think of the fact that he killed all the Horcruxes with the Basilisk Fang instead of the sword or instead of the um, Fiend Fire? I mean, you know. People recognize people recognize the Fang. I, that, that's the one reason I could think of. Um, but to be honest with you, it's just like comparing these things to the books and films. Uh, comparing the films to the books is just like, you know, I don't know. What are you gonna do? I'm tired of sticking up for them. I have no excuses anymore. Yeah, I was just wondering what you guys thought about thought about the uh, like the final battle. It seemed like they replaced a lot of the chaos from the books. Like, in the books, there was, like, centaurs running around and spiders and giants. And in the movies, it was just kind of, like, a couple spiders and a couple giants. And they replaced a lot of that chaos with just students running around Hogwarts for an hour. I guess you, like, can, connect like the, the, you can connect to the students more, really. Right. But you it know? seemed like... But that you, did been... see, you did see the giants come in. Right, yeah, and, like, a few giants, like, running down the hill and stuff. Yeah. You didn't see, like, what was great in the book is you saw the cameos, like the Oliver Wood cameo. I right. think there was a Con Creevy yeah. bit in Cor- there, too. Yeah, neither... Money. Neither of those were in there. That would have been right. nice to see. And, and the other thing, too, is it was completely one-sided because it was everybody on the bad side. There were no house elves. There were no centaurs. There was yeah. no people from Hogsmeade coming in. So I think it was more to show that the that Voldemort's side was winning and, and doing such a good job against uh, Harry and company. Keith Hawk, why don't you come up for a little bit? This is Bungonet's Keith Hawk. He does a lot of content, uh, content posts on the sites. I'm sure you've seen him before. Also does a lot of great giveaways. And, and he, he saves was, us when we don't want to, uh. And he was also Dumbledore at a convention about four years ago. And he was, yeah, boy, take, was take he a great Dumbledore. Take Eric's seat. You didn't Next tell me question? there's going to be people here. What's your Hello, name? Where are you from? I'm Ryan. I'm from Minnesota. Um, I have a question about the goblin and the sword. How did he get in Voldemort's house randomly? Like, the goblin stole the sword, and then next thing you know, he's dead in Voldemort's house, and then he just disappears. How did Voldemort not notice the sword? Was he in Gringotts? Yeah. Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, buddy. I have two things, but they're kind of yeah. about the same thing. Um, so this is probably really petty, but we all got over the fact that Harry has blue eyes instead of green, but mm-hmm. young Lily had brown eyes. And they made such a big deal about him having, oh, you have your mother's eyes. Well, 
kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like a petty thing, but like, I mean, she could have worn contacts or something. No. Like, well, you're right because they do because that's the line, right? Snape's yeah. line: "You have your mother's eyes," and it's just, or look look at me, and then you know. Well, but not it, really it, the same color. But it reminds me of Sorcerer's Stone when that movie came out, and everybody was like, "Why is in his eyes blue?" Which we got over, but then you're picking a small girl to be his mom, and it's like you could pick a blue-eyed yeah. actress. Maybe it was a mistake. I mean, I guess that's kind of a mistake. It wouldn't have been too hard to fix her yeah. eyes, yeah. just um, digitally. The, sorry. The other thing is, um, this has kind of bothered me since the first film. Um, Harry's parents look like they're about 35 when they died when they were about 21, and. In the mirror of Arisad, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe this is what they would look like if they were alive today. But in their death scenes, they look like they're like in their mid-30s when they died like three years out of school. And I guess it's not that big a deal, but I wish we could have seen them, you know, they were really young. And I think that's part of why it's so tragic. And we see them as like fully grown people who've lived a lot longer than they actually did. Mm-hmm. You know what I liked about that, though? was Lily and James, that shot of them kind of dancing around in front of that fountain, because that's what you see in Chamber of Secrets when he's paging through that book. Which one was it? Chamber? Okay, yeah. Which was kind of nice, because I I think that's also kind of a nice little throwback to the previous films, because that's probably like the original footage that they shot for Chamber of Secrets, and then they brought it out again for this film. But, you know, yeah, yeah. As as you heard by that applause, people agree with you. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to know what you thought about Helena Bonham Carter as Hermione. Oh, yeah. Oh. What do you think, Keith? Uh, she did a great job. I mean, that was how she was walking on her ankles and stuff, and stumbling <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, she did good. And the attitude, Hermione learning Bellatrix's attitude was really funny, too. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm Hi. Kate from Palo Alto, California. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Didn't you say, you said to me the other day, you yeah. trick-or-treated at Steve Jobs' house? Yeah, because he lives <laughs> close, it's he funny. lives a couple blocks away. Uh, uh, Apple talk. Okay. Andrew's going to come visit. I, I told her, yeah, I'm going to go trick-or-treating me. with you next year. <laughs> oh, anyways, what really bothered me from part one was that Peter Pettigrew didn't die, and I was hoping that he would die in this movie, but he... That was a major disappointment. Yeah, I... Be- because at the end of part one, you see, you see Ron knock him out of the way. Dobby. 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 Yeah. And he goes like, ow, and then falls. Yeah, he falls over and that's it. Yeah. There's no redemption. There's nothing. Well, because then I was thinking, because in the, mem- like, Snape's The Prince's Tale or whatever, you see Peter Pettigrew, but I think it's... A it's some s- dumb shot from a previous yeah, movie. Yeah, so... Yeah. I no, I agree. That was a disappointment. I was really disappointed. But, yeah. But yeah, that's... I'll, I'll give you the classic director and producer line. You know, it was just for time. We just didn't have time to do it. You didn't Next tell me question. There be people here. What's your Hello, name? Where are you from? I'm Ryan. I'm from Minnesota. Um, I have a question about the goblin and the sword. How did he get in Voldemort's house randomly? Like, the goblin stole the sword, and then next thing you know, he's dead in Voldemort's house, and then he just disappears. How did Voldemort not notice the sword? Was he in Gringotts? Yeah. Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> It's cool, buddy. I have two things, but they're kind of about the same thing. Um, So this is probably really petty, but we all got over the fact that Harry has blue eyes instead of green, but young Lily had brown eyes. And they made such a big deal about him having, oh, you have your mother's eyes. Well, kind of. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's like a petty thing, but like, I mean, she could have worn contacts or something. No. Like... Well, you're right because they do because that's the line, right? Snape's line: "You have your mother's eyes," and it's just, or look look at me, and then you know. Well, but not it, really it, the same color. But it reminds me of Sorcerer's Stone when that movie came out, and everybody was like, "Why is in his eyes blue?" Which we got over, but then you're picking a small girl to be his mom, and it's like you could pick a blue eyed yeah. actress. Maybe it was a mistake. I mean, I guess that's kind of a mistake. It wouldn't have been too hard to fix her yeah. eyes. Yeah, just um, digitally. Then, sorry. The other thing is, um, this has kind of bothered me since the first film. Um, Harry's parents look like they're about 35 when they died when they were about 21. And in the mirror of Erised, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe this is what they would look like if they were alive today. But in their death scenes, they look like they're like in their mid-30s when they died like three years out of school. And I guess it's not that big a deal, but I wish we could have seen them, you know, they were really young. And I think that's part of why it's so tragic. And we see them as like fully grown people who've lived a lot longer than they actually did. Mm-hmm. You know what I liked about that, though, was Lily and James, that shot of them kind of dancing around in front of that fountain, because that's what you see in Chamber of Secrets when he's paging through that book. Sorcerer's Stone. Which one was it? Chamber? Okay, Chamber, yeah. Which was kind of nice, because I, I think that, that's also kind of a nice little throwback to the previous films, because oh, that's yeah. probably like the original footage that they shot for yeah. Chamber of Secrets, and then they brought it out again for this film. Yeah. But, oh, well. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as you heard by that applause, people agree with you. <laughs> Hi. Hey, I just wanted to know what you thought about Helena Bonham Carter as Hermione. Oh, yeah. Oh. What do you think, Keith? Uh, she did a great job. I mean, that was how she was walking on her ankles and stuff, <laughs> and stumbling all over the place. Yeah, she did good. And the attitude, Hermione learning Bellatrix's attitude was really funny, too. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm Hi. Kate from Palo Alto, California. <laughs> yeah. And um, Didn't you say, you said to me the other day, you yeah. trick-or-treated at Steve Jobs' house? Yeah, because he lives <laughs> close. That's he funny. lives a couple blocks away. Uh, Apple talk. Okay. Andrew's going to come visit. I, I told her, yeah, I'm going to go trick-or-treating with you next year. <laughs> oh, anyways, what really bothered me from part one was that Peter Pettigrew didn't die, and I was hoping that he would die in this movie. But he, that was a major disappointment. Yeah, I. Be, because at the end of part one, you see, you see, Ron knock him out of the way. Dobby. 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 Yeah. And he goes like, "Ow!" And then falls. Yeah, he falls over, and that's it. Yeah. There's no redemption. There's nothing. Well, because then I was thinking, because in the mem- like Snape's the Prince's Tale or whatever, you see Peter Pettigrew, but I think it's. It's some dumb shot from a previous yeah, movie. Yeah, so... Yeah. I no, I agree. That was a disappointment. I was really disappointed. But, yeah. But yeah, that's it. I'll, I'll give you the classic director and producer line. You know, it was just for time. We just didn't have time to do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. We couldn't do anything else. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, Emily Hi. from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I just had a question for... Well, you, Andrew, and Eric, even though it's not here. Um, what was the biggest difference for you having seen the screening back in Chicago, apart from, like, score and special effects? Like, any scenes? Or... Uh, they didn't really change much. Yeah. Basically the same? Yeah. I, I Honestly, it was, a, it was the same length. I don't know if they cut or added much. I don't know. That's a boring answer, but it's the truth. And when we saw the test screening, the movie relies so much on those special effects that... Yeah. You know, I felt like I hadn't even seen hadn't even seen it. You know, back in April, 
So it was interesting to see them all complete. And they did, you know, the special effects did look great, but occasionally in 3D, I noticed a couple of things that looked kind of cheesy. And one of the things I thought actually did not look good was in, and they call this the most technically complicated scene in the movie, uh, in the, in the Lestrange vault. All the gold. Did that yeah. look weird to anyone when it started filling up more and more? It wasn't, it wasn't hot. I, and, and they even say, you know, it starts multiplying when you touch it, but things were multiplying that weren't even being touched. Yeah, and I get it for film, you know, it looks, it's more action-packed, but, you know, they, they throw that line in there, whatever you touch multiplies. I think, I think they meant by that that once they multiplied, they started they touching each other. It. Like, and then the multiply pieces multiplied themselves, and then it just kept going. It Perhaps. actually reminded me of um, Sonic the Hedgehog, the game, where you're rolling along, <laughs> and, then, and then you hit something sharp, and all your coins just, like, yeah. jump out everywhere. But, um, yeah. All right, well, thank you. And what's amazing about that is they made 7,000 of those little trophies. Yeah, handmade. That's handmade. 7,000. Yeah. Hey. Um, back to the confetti. So, I was... <laughs> sorry. I was wondering why, like, none of the, I guess, good guy deaths were on screen, and all of the deaths were that we saw on screen were bad guys, and it was them turning to confetti. Do you think it was like a ratings thing, or I don't know? Because also, it seemed to just make it all more comical, like Voldemort well, being ridiculous. Well, I mean, again, like in the book, you don't see Tonks and Lupin die. Yeah, which is but, disappointing. I know what you're saying, though. Why would you? I think. I think. But none it, of the good guy deaths were on screen. Right. Like, even Lavender. By the time you get to her, she's already dead. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Nobody wants to see the good guys die. I mean, yeah. Imagine the sobbing at that point. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, another boring answer. But that's like, I don't know. What do you think, Lenka? It, it it could be a ratings thing though, because if you look at how Bellatrix and Voldemort died, it wasn't as if their dead bodies were right there. I mean, the scariest thing probably in the whole film was that fetus on, in King's Cross Station. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, first, um, Ivana Lynch tweeted, lost in the hotel and can't get to MuggleCast. <laughs> um, someone in the hotel, please tell them and send a port key. So if we could send a port key to Ivana Lynch. Uh, well, thank you for that now, Twitter. How long update. ago did she tweet that? When she, four minutes. Um, er, apparently Eric is lost too right now, so maybe they'll bump <laughs> into each other. And um, Teddy Lupin... Um, in the scene in the forest, Harry says to Remus, Remus, your son. And I'm like, wait, we never mentioned the son earlier in this film. How did Harry know he had a son? Well, because in part one, there's that half blink and you miss it moment where Tonks is about to tell Harry. I but get- she doesn't even say it. Right. She's about to. And then she gets cut off. So how does Harry know? Because he was told later off screen. <laughs> well, why couldn't I mean, it be on screen? Yeah, I, I know. I agree. I agree. And if you follow these movies very closely, there's a great editorial on MuggleNet called Half-Baked Harry. Mm-hmm. And it just points out all the differences between the books and films and why things don't add up at all. And, you know, I would fear the director and producers reading that because they would probably just feel awful about themselves. And Steve Clovis, too. Um, but he got filled in later. That's the answer. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you guys noticed when Voldemort was killing, or about to kill Snape, the uh, Gryffindor scarf behind Snape. And I was wondering if you noticed how that kind of represented that, A, they sort too early, and B, his courage in the moment. And I was wondering what you thought of it. 
And where was it? Where, in the boathouse. It was behind Snape. There was the just a Gryffindor scarf. Okay, I didn't see that. I saw like a sweater hanging on a doorknob. <laughs> do you guys? Do you guys remember seeing that? I didn't catch it. That's no. really cool. Oh, okay, well, that is really cool. I just thought you might want to know. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I think she's lying. <laughs> just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering what you guys thought about uh, how they left out the whole Dumbledore affiliation with Grindelwald. The Dumbledore what? The Dumbledore affiliation with Grindelwald. It's never really fleshed out, right? Yeah, because I was kind of annoyed because they didn't do the whole, is Dumbledore as white as his beard? Like, Harry never really had a reason to mistrust Dumbledore. And Ariana, yeah. Like, Any comments about that, guys? Well, they never really made him think that Albus was bad to begin with. I mean, Harry had some questions about Albus, but he didn't ever feel like he didn't, couldn't trust him. I think they showed it in the movie like they always trusted it, that Harry always trusted Dumbledore so they didn't have to bring up that thing that they do in the book. Yeah. Doesn't Aberforth talk about uh, his brother's quest for power at one point in the in the Hogshead? Yeah, and then I they never really like explained that, That's it. the only real reference to it. And, and also in part one, Voldemort doesn't, uh, he doesn't kill Grindelwald, does he? And he does in the book. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, but I think they said, and maybe the, it'll come more in this scene. One of the scenes they cut down a lot was Aberforth. Was Aberforth's talk with Harry, which would have been nice to see. I mean, I, I don't know if it would have hurt the film adding that whole thing in a, a couple extra minutes, maybe of, of story. Thank you. Hello. Hi. I cut you off earlier, right? Yes, you did. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, that's okay. This is about um, serious. I mean, Snape holding Lily. Wasn't the house supposed to be destroyed when Voldemort did the Avada Kedavra thing? So, and the lights were still on, so I was just, you know. <laughs> Emotion. I, yeah. Okay. Emotion. It's, it's, it was such a striking scene, right? That was, another, that was another sob moment. That was, you know, one of the, <laughs> that was an awful sob moment. Yeah. I, I just wanted to leave. I was so depressed. Everybody was so sad in the theater. It was only that one part of the house that was destroyed. Yeah. Just where the curse rebounded, that was it. Hi. What's my up, question, Crumb? Uh, not much. Uh, my question is like strictly like on a movieism, because um, throughout the movies, Ron isn't made. Havana! Have a seat there. Eric found her. Sorry, Keith, I'm late. Keith I got lost. Eric... I got so It's lost. okay. We saw we saw your tweet. It's all right. Oh yeah. Oh, so what happened? Were you I lost in the show. back area there? Well, you see, they take us through this really secret area in the hotel, like where you see all the kitchens and everything. Yeah. So I don't know my way around. I just, okay, bring me wherever. And, um, yeah, they, they, they didn't come and collect us, so... Um, oh. I, I tried I tried to come here and freaked out. And, <laughs> well, I'm here. It's okay. <laughs> thank you for coming. Question for you. We've been talking about the movies a lot. First of all, you have the first line in the movie, as you I mentioned do. the other day. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> did you... What did you... You are such a big fan of the books. You are a true fan. That's why everybody loves you. What did you think of the scene where Harry pulls Voldemort over the cliff? Yeah, I, 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 that was very unexpected. I didn't know that was going to be in it either. Um, I think it, it, it's kind of cool. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's for a f- film value, isn't it? I, li- like, I, mean, I just think it is, it's, it's really raw and 
I like it when they just disregard their wands and they're just sort of clawing at each other. Um, I, I don't know. Melissa raised this point, like, why did Harry do that? Did he expect that Voldemort was just going to fly him to safety? But, right. Um, I, 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 st- I still think it's cool. It's effective. Why, what about you? Well, my thing has always been that Harry and Voldemort just don't touch each other. You know, I, I I didn't like it. And there's this funny there's this funny clip on YouTube. Somebody re-edited it, and I I put it on my Facebook. Harry and Voldemort, er, Harry starts to pull him over, and then it it goes really slow, and the Titanic theme comes up, and it's just they start falling, and it's like near far wherever you. It's just, it's really funny. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm very confused right now. <laughs> Trust me, it's better on YouTube. So, did you answer your? Did you ask your question? No. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> my question was strictly about like movie Ron, um, because movie Ron's never made out to be, frankly, that intelligent. Um, and so, when Harry's about to go into the forest, he tells Hermione it's something that I've expected, and he's alluding to the fact that he's a Horcrux, and Hermione sort of understands, but Ron's just sort of standing there. And so, I was just wondering, what were your thoughts on maybe what was Ron thinking? He was, if I could, I think yeah. he was thinking, I just made out with Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you have this one. It's okay, Harry. <laughs> I think it's that they have a different relationship. It's, it's Harry and Hermione are just close in a different way. And I, don't, yeah, I thought it was odd as well. But um, I suppose it was Ron saying, like, I won't do the jealousy anymore. I'll just stand back. But hmm. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Thank you. Hello. Hi, I'm Gina from Chicago. Um, I just had a general question. Now that we've seen all the movies, do you have a favorite scene from just all from, from all of them? Uh, well, I guess we can go down the line. Ivana, there was an awesome moment at the UK press conference where everybody went down and each gave their favorite line. That was so good. Or use your, use your mic. Some did it in their voice. I don't think I did. but um. Yeah, some did it in their What was your line? Favorite line? You're just as sane as I am. <laughs> favorite scene, Eric? Favorite scene overall? Uh, all, all, all eight. All eight films. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a classic, yeah. That's, that's where I started with, with my journey on the Harry Potter, so I think that's probably fitting. Ivana? I don't know. There's uh, there's so many I love, but I think one that stood out in the last film um, was you know the tale of the three brothers that sequence like it's 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 animation um, and or whatever you call it. I don't know what that is done in, but it, it's just so nice and it was so sort of out of the blue and refreshing and no one no one on the cast knew and I thought that was cool um, and I really enjoyed the time turner sequence in number three because it's very hard to get your head around that in the book and I think seeing it played out on, out on film it, it just makes it a bit clearer yeah. I think Steve Clovis, while doing press for this most recent movie, said that was one of his most difficult scenes to write. He's a screenwriter because, you know, you're, you're going back in time and balancing time so the characters run in to see their, their, themselves. So, yeah, that must have been so intricate and hard to work out. Keith? Every scene with Ivana. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think my favorite out of all of them is still the the uh, battle in the Department of Mysteries. I, I really like that whole sequence, the prophecies falling, the death chamber sequence. I mean, it's not like the book, 
but it was good enough. And in the battle afterwards with, with Voldemort and Dumbledore, I like that whole section. It's probably my favorite part in the books, too. Micah? Um, I think the scene in, in Half-Blood Prince where um, Harry is in Hagrid's hut with Slughorn and he's trying to get the memory away from him and I guess Hagrid and Slughorn are both a little bit tipsy. Um, but uh, there's that. I think there was this piece that got added about Lily and the, the fish that Slughorn had. And I don't yeah. think that was in the book at all. And that was a cool scene. Benjamin? Um, for me, the graveyard's where it's at. Because uh, with the book, you know, the book, it was just like, to me, that was the, the whole turning point of the entire series. And that was the most well done part. And I think that they did a great job visually with that. And then, of course, you know, the whole, like, screaming oh. Cedric's father. And, did somebody just bark at me? <laughs> but, but, yeah, um, the, the graveyard scene was a good one. Um, one of my favorite scenes, I don't have a specific favorite scene, but I think, you know, now that all of them are done, I, I appreciate Sorcerer's Stone so much now. And especially the end, Harry, Harry and Quirrell slash Voldemort's fight, um, fight was, was so good because you just see little Harry going up, up against this guy who he's going to be dealing with for, for seven years now. And it's kind of just like, you know, wow, how far he's come. So watching that again and just... That's, I think that's one of my favorite scenes. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, I have two little things. Uh, before, you were talking about how good Voldemort was in this movie, and I totally agree, and I think my favorite part was when he like discovers that a horcrux been, has been destroyed, and then he's just so mad that he just like breaks out and kills somebody randomly. Like... <laughs> I thought that was so fitting, and like, I mean, it's terrible that, you know, somebody just randomly died, but I thought it worked so well, and I don't know if I'm the only person that thinks that, but I thought it worked really well. Clap, clap, clap. What was your question, or? But then, um, for uh, Voldemort and Harry's, like, duel at the end, I feel like since they cut out the speech, you lost a lot of the, like, theme of love conquering, because you didn't get that explanation of how, like, Lily sacrificed herself for Harry and how his sacrifice was protecting everyone else. And did you feel that, like, a little bit of the, like, love was lost? I mean, if you look at Snape's pain, though... Like, yeah, you got it there. You see, him, you see him holding Lily because he's clearly lost somebody that he loves so much. I mean, that, that for me, just got the message across. Yeah. How about you? Anyone else? Any other comments? I summed up everybody. Awesome. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, this may be minor, but I was just wondering, trying to figure out what year Cho Chang was in. Sorry, can you get closer to the mic? What Cho Chang what? What year Cho Chang was in. Because when the members of Dumbledore, Dumbledore's army returned, um, like there were some old faces, like someone mentioned Angelina was there, and, and I thought they'd already graduated, but... I saw Cho in uniform in the scene where... Yeah, in the book, she's a year older than Harry, but in the movie, they made her the same year. It's just like Padma and Parvati are in the same house in the movies, but in the books, they're Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. Okay. It's just for movies. Yep. Hello. Hey, guys. Um, I'm just wondering if anybody noticed this, but I think Fenrir Greyback was 
like the first one on the bridge, and when Neville blew it up, he plummeted to his death. But then a few minutes later, he got to attack Lavender. It was a snatcher, says the audience. Which one? The one that smells Hermione, says Bellatrix, who's very, very creepily sitting in the front. I thought you were disintegrated. How are you back? So which one? I'm sorry, I'm, I don't understand. Was on the bridge? Yeah, that... Scavier was on the bridge? Yeah, then he fell. Then he fell. Okay, can I ask, where was the... Because was that what they were meant to blow up? Remember the bit where Professor McGonagall and um, Seamus Finnegan are walking through and they're like, boom, boom, you know? Yeah. Where was the boom? Was that supposed to be the bridge? Was it? Okay. I think so. Thank you. I guess that makes sense then, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hello. Hi. Um, there was another thing that really annoyed me both in part one and part two was that since... At the end of Half-Blood Prince, um, they said, oh, a Horcrux could be anything, which was exactly the opposite from what they said in the book. It seemed like Harry would go to a place and then walk in and be like, my Horcrux senses are tingling. (laughs) And then there was like this mysterious ringing noise. Um, well, but I think that's to help moviegoers understand that he's getting close to a Horcrux and help to understand what's going on in Harry's head. You know, they have to do some noise. I mean, how else, what, what else is it going to do? Like a glow or like a light's going to shine on it? Like, oh! But, but like, he walks into the vault and he's, and it's like, he's like magnet- magnetically attracted to it, to the cup or something. He's looking around and he's like, I see it. My Horcrux senses are honing in on that cup. And it was just so annoying to me. It's true that that was part of, it seemed to be part of his plan, was yeah. to just wait for him to hear or detect the Horcrux for instance, when he enters the vault. Um, but I think also that that helped communicate, uh, you know, what we find out at the climax, or one of the climaxes, um, that Harry is a Horcrux, or that, that, you know, he actually has part of the soul, that he, he's going around destroying these parts of souls. So that connection is, is, is solidified a little bit more by that uh, development. Thank you, and I'm sorry you were disappointed. <laughs> Um, whoever's at the end of the line right now, uh, that'll be... Okay, you're the last person, so push anyone away who comes up. No, you don't have to go back. Or somebody's going back. Oh, okay, she was taking pictures. Hi, Team Lupin. Hello. Um, so this is kind of like a theory or a statement. Obviously, Harry is a Horcrux, and Basilisk's fangs destroy Horcruxes. And in the second book, Harry gets stabbed by a Basilisk's fang, so shouldn't the Horcrux have been destroyed then? Ooh. Ooh. Do, do you think that uh, Fox came in too soon? Maybe. I've had this theory for a while, so yeah, that's what I came up with. But. So Fox shouldn't have saved them? Would he have gone to King's Cross right then and there? Well, it's difficult because Voldemort had to be the one to kill him. But then, I guess the diary sick, the basilisk on the diary riddle sick, the ba- it's very complicated. Where, where is the Horcrux inside Harry? Like, where is it? Look? Is it, is like it in his, his head? Scar, it's in his scar, and he got stabbed in the arm. The, blood, the venom didn't yeah. travel yeah. up. Yeah, that's, that's true. Is the Horcrux that little baby? Because then it's in his womb, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, w- but wait a second. If, if he had gotten killed, if he had died from it, wouldn't the Horcrux have been destroyed then, probably? Yeah, because he had to die, or sort of die, in order to get rid of it. So, Good point, though. Yeah, very interesting. Hello. Hello. This is another Slytherin thing. I was like, how in the books where they actually gave them a choice, 
in the movies, they kind of just like dismiss them, like they couldn't stay if they wanted to, even. And like how when like all the centaurs were coming back at the final battle, the Slytherins came back with reinforcements with Slughorn. And I thought like in the movie, since it was like you could miss it so easily in the book, like it didn't like really describe it. It wasn't until like Joe confirmed it that you would actually know that it was the Slytherins with them. Like I thought in the movies that they would make it more clear that there was Slytherins there too. Because it kind of seems like they just kept going for that all Slytherins are bad in this movie still. I don't know. It's, it's true. So, so much is happening in that, in that, in that battle scene. And I, I think they did, in the movie, kind of go the way of, of uh, separating Slytherins by, by sort of you know, having them be the less morally upstanding um, or in terms of, but I, I, you know, as a listener mentioned earlier as well, some of the Slytherins had parents who were Death Eaters and that sort of thing. So I, th- I think there is a good case to be made that that the, you know the Slytherins, although they did not overtly participate in the films in the final battle, that that it is um, that it's something that they would, uh, you know, it's still in the books, but also that you know there may be other reasons that it's not necessarily all bad. Somebody told me that they saw Pansy Parkinson in the Great Hall. Like, maybe when they were licking their wounds in between the battles? Is Scarlet here? Was she in yeah, one of those Scarlet. scenes? She, she said that. She said that the Slytherins are out. So they don't really explain how they broke up. But she said that there's a scene that's been cut from the film where um, Filch goes down to the dungeons and the Slytherins are there, and it sort of blows up and they all get out and scatter. So yeah, they saw I, Pansy in the, in the yeah, film. Yeah, so it's not explained, but they do get out. They don't waste away in the dungeon. <laughs> I was they, also wondering... Oh, sorry. Well, can you tilt the mic, mic up first so we can hear you a little bit better? And then we'll... Good. Yeah, there you go. Okay, good. Um, in Harry's... The scene where he... Like, after he just came out of the pensive and he realizes what he has to do, I thought in, like, the books, like... It was, like, more anxious than it was in the movies because he, like, is just passing everything and, like feeling nostalgic and like doesn't stop and say anything and it's like he's finally being like it's like the one moment where he's being really noble and not having to include everyone where in the movies it seems like they have that more hero aspect of it because Ron and Hermione stop him and there's that really big scene where Hermione's crying and knows that he has to do that and he says that he's a horcrux and stuff I love that scene where, where Harry and Hermione have the realization that he does need to go kill himself. They, that, that, that Voldemort needs to go. That Voldemort has to kill him. What? Yeah, so. I liked it too, but I just thought in like the books, he was like, I don't really know how to explain it, but it was just like, he was, it showed how he was, mature, how much mature he was too, because. He just knew that he had to do this alone and he was going to walk to his death without including anyone. And I thought it was like maybe a little bit more emotional in a different way because like he sees Ginny and he wonders if he can, if she can sense him because she looks over, but he doesn't want to bother her and like make her upset by her knowing that he's going to die. Hi. I feel like um, one of the decisions they say that they've made very early on in, in Prisoner of Azkaban, the film, was to tell the story from Harry's journey. 
um, which which um, omitted certain storylines such as the Marauders uh, from those films. And so when you're watching DH Part Two and you see more of a, a visual Harry, when, that moment when he leaves the pensive and just sits down and breathes, uh, you know, among the realization that he has to go kill himself is sort of uh, the the way it translated onto film that that he was thinking about Jenny, that he was thinking about the other characters. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Xavier. Hey, guys. Ooh. Okay, so I wanted to compliment um, and get your opinions on the protection that was put around the school because I think the books, it's very hard, and it leads it up to interpretation of how it would visually appear outside. And in part one, they kind of showed where Scabia and Hermione are very close together, but it's invisible. There's no visual line there. But in part two, all of the teachers, you could see the wand tips and the trail of the spells go up from different areas and build that dome around the school. And I thought that was amazing. I thought yeah. was, filmmakers did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And it, cinematically, it just looked great because it was this montage of the teachers just put holding their wand, and teachers and Molly, and yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks great. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. And it kind of reminded me of the way the Patronus is. It's, it's people who have good in their hearts that they can make this really strong protection. Um, over the school, and it, it has that that silvery sheen to it that the Patronus has, which is yeah. just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the other note I had was a friend of mine had mentioned um, regarding a part in part one where the wand, uh, where Harry was passed out and his wand acted of its own accord. Someone, and I may need a book reminder, but someone had mentioned a friend of mine that um, because Horcrux, Horcruxes have naturally defensive. Um, qualities to themselves that maybe the wand wasn't really hairy it was the horcrux protecting itself from when Voldemort was attempting to kill Harry and I wanted your opinion on that because technically Harry has a horcrux it would you're talking about at the very end the final duel no, 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 part uh, one. In part one, where Harry's on passed out on the car. And, and the wands meet without yeah. Harry actually Harry's knowing. passed out and his wand acts on its own and he throws it up and Harry, Harry yeah, it's, it's just it's just the the Horcrux. They can't kill each other. They are protected from each other. So because it wasn't really defined the in the book against Voldemort. In in the books, it was very specific that that Harry had to know and willingly sacrifice himself in order for that the Horcruxes to be in order for Voldemort to be able to to, to kill him without that sort of thing happening. Yeah, the wand acting on its own accord. That's kind of what I was touched on. Okay, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks Xavier. Just celebrated his twenty first birthday. It's very happy birthday, Xavier. <laughs> It's a good time to be at LeakyCon for Xavier. Hello. Hi. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say that you're just as sane as I am, Ivana. So. <laughs> um, but also, my question was for you, and I was just wondering if you ever thought that Luna might have feelings for Harry since he was the first person to really befriend her and all. Wait, Luna might... What? If um, Luna might have feelings for Harry... Does Luna have feelings for Harry? think so. No, I think I think she sees she really understands him. I think when she sees him and she can't help but watch him in a way that she knows what he's going through. Um she's just so she's very perceptive perceptive and intuitive. She always picks up on people's feelings and Harry especially. He's just someone who never ever stops thinking and he's always got all these emotions raging through him. Through him. And and Luna is the complete opposite. She like when I say not think, I don't mean she's not smart. Of course she's smart, but she just doesn't analyze things. She lets things happen, and and Harry is the opposite. And um, and often when when you when you 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 recognize when when someone is the opposite of you, you understand them more than yourself. Um, so I think she's fascinated by Harry, and she's aware of the massive task, massive burden he has. But 
Um, no, I don't think feelings feelings are a part of it. No. All right. What about you? What do you think? Um, I always thought that they might be together, just because um they connected on so many levels and all. Because of what? Since they connected on so many levels with yeah. losing their parents and all that, or at least you, Luna's mom, not her dad, but. Yeah. Speaking of Luna and love, what do you think of at the end of the movie where uh, Luna Neville? Uh, I thought it. Yeah. You like it? Yeah. I love that ship. I think it's really cute. I think they 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 have, they have a connection over, you know, because they're both sort of outsiders, but they're oddly comfortable with that, and 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 they they don't really they don't they aren't influenced by other people, despite what everyone says about them. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's really cute in the battle scene as well because it's just all in the heat of the moment, isn't it? It's like, we're, we're going to die, we have to do something. And Neville's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm mad for her, I'll go for it. And then afterwards it's like, ooh, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's really awkward. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think Neville and Luna would like go the distance. I think she's a bit too just eccentric for him and, and she has all these crazy ideas and, and Neville just seems to you know he wants to just be there with his plans have a nice simple life and, and <laughs> Matt Lewis described it as a summer fling during the press yeah, conferences so yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way to so. put it yeah, yeah. alright well thank you thank you hey man hello what's your question yeah um, we've mentioned eyes being their own color um, what's well, always got to me is why is the Dark Lord's eyes this bright sparkly blue <laughs> What should they what do you be? Black? Right. Red. Red, right. What does everybody think about it? <laughs> I think um, on our 200th episode, landmark episode, we did get to interview David Heyman, and he, and he talked about this uh, Goblet of Fire, the production of actually creating Voldemort, you know, what everybody's in their minds, the books, how they describe him as having slit eyes. Uh, or a slit, you know, slit nose, but red eyes. And I believe uh, David Heyman said that it was, uh, you know, really about making him um, look more human because he was once uh, a human, and that and that it would be almost comical if he had sort of the red eyes, the slits, and and he does have, you know, no nose, which in itself is a, a remarkable thing to do with uh, makeup and and things like that. But I think I think the the eyes, because the the eyes are the portals to the soul, and it's very much about believing in him as a villain. Uh, that that's why they made that sort of... I don't know why he has blue eyes, though, but um, maybe because Ray Fiennes might have... I think they're dreamy, (laughs) personally. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Hi. um, I'm Alison from Australia. Um, (laughs) um, I was just wondering what you guys thought about the stuff that they included with, like, the Malfoys, like, including, like, what Harry said in, you know, the Room of Requirement and, like, what was probably the most awkward hug filmed, like one of the most few awkward hugs filmed ever on screen. That? Hug? Really? What's that? Say if you can call it that. Oh. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> I think the intention was there, but it was just kind of like really awkward. Anyway, I don't know what you guys thought about that. Well, the one thing interesting about the Malfoys was apparently they shot multiple endings for the Malfoys and they decided at a later time which way to actually end it. Um, and, appa- and Jason Isaac said... I think that one of the ways they shot it was Malf- uh, uh, Lucius actually gets trampled by fellow Death Eaters, <laughs> which would be pretty interesting to see and, yeah, and heard. Um, but, and your question was how... Like, what did you guys think of, like, you know, maybe like the hog or like what like Harry said in like the room requirement, like kind of drew the audience's attention to, you know, the fact that 
Draco kind of knew it was Harry in like the scene at Malfoy Manor. I think it shows the, just the difference between Harry and, and Draco. Well, there's so many, but like that that Draco, he has a chance that you know redemption, I suppose. And and, he, and he's he's standing there on the steps, and and there's this really tense moment where everyone's like, "Is he going to stay?" And he doesn't, you know. And um, that I. I, I I don't know the the, the the hug. It's just it just shows you it's it's all he's he's going over to that side. He's cowardly. And I think the Malfoys. Um, my mom actually was saying they're quite like the Dursleys. They're only for themselves, aren't they? You see them walking away at the end. They don't. They just want to be where the power is, and and they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to sacrifice anything. Um, I don't know. What about you? Yeah. you think? Yeah, I, I, I really like, we talked earlier about, um, you know, Ginny and, and the, the plot in the films not necessarily being as successful. I, I think they definitely, um, the, the Malfoy subplot, you know, we always see where Lucius is, even in the books where he may be off scene or in Azkaban, we see what, what's happening in the, the opening scenes of Deathly Hallows Part One where, um, you know, Voldemort confronts Lucius and takes his wand and breaks his wand is just exceptional, uh, character moments, uh, for, and, and the whole Malfoy, family is treated to, to so many of those in the films, and especially in part two. What did you guys think? I gave my thoughts. <laughs> Micah? Well, I, think, I think with Draco, too, um, you know, it, it was you know, to show that redemptive quality. If you look at Half-Blood Prince, you know that he's not going to kill Dumbledore, and, and, and I think it shows the same thing in Malfoy Manor. He's not going to give up Harry because he's so afraid. And I, and I think, you know, towards the end, you know, even with with Lucius, it seems like he's lost connection with his son completely. It's his mother who he ends up answering to at, at the final battle and walking away with. I'd really like to know what happened with Lucius. I'd like to know if Lucius is divorced, paying huge amounts of alimony, <laughs> or if he's actually still in Malfoy Manor and... Distant from Draco. I, I mean, I'd yeah, like I don't know say. what the resolution of that is. I think I think they got their son back, and that they're going to try and rebuild. What do you think, Ivana? You know, I, I was wondering about like the relationship between Lucius and, and Narcissa, because I just you get the feeling that she just loses all respect for him throughout that film, and that he's sort of his fall from grace, and you know Voldemort taking his wand, and and she only cares about Draco, and you see that when she sort of betrays Voldemort, and she. she she says, "Yeah, he's dead," and I just, yeah, I'd say, I'd say Lucius Malfoy never really recovers from that. It's just he's lost all his prestige, hasn't he? He's shown yeah, that. He, he really you can see that power. when they walk across the bridge, and it's uh, yeah. Draco holding hands with his mother, yeah. and Lucius is like looking over his shoulder, yeah. kind of lost. Yeah. The, the fan sites asked um, Jason Isaacs what he thinks Lucius deserves, and he said nothing. He deserves nothing. He's, you know. He's, he's dug himself way too deep a hole and deserves to have a miserable life. Well, he has nothing. He has no wand. Well, right. And yeah. That's, that's, that's the wizard's lifeline right there is the wand. No yeah. wand. You're not even a wizard. Yeah. He's really, like, I love that scene as well with Voldemort when he says to Lucius, how do you live with yourself? You never really see, like, Voldemort considering someone, but even Voldemort is disgusted by the person that he is and... There's just nothing redeeming about him, and uh, like Snape, say so he's nasty, but he's done this amazing sacrifice for, for Lily, for for love and everything. And what has Lucius done? Nothing really. Yeah, it's a crap person. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey man, yeah, go ahead, take it off. I'm kind of freestyling. That's fine. Yeah, do what you want. That's cool. Hi, um, Ivana. Did I pronounce it right? Okay, just checking. 
Um, I really enjoy your portrayal of Luna in the movies. Just want to say that. Um, I think you really capture the character, kind of how she has an honesty to her, sincerity, but also kind of like, I guess, a whimsy to her. Huh? A whimsy, whimsical nature. Uh, Luna is a whimsical yeah. character. Yeah. Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like spacey would be kind of derogatory, like offensive. So I chose whimsical. <laughs> but anyways, I think one of my favorite lines is something along the lines of, um, you're riding one of the carriages with Harry to Hogwarts, and you're saying, uh, I hope they have pudding. Would you mind reciting that line? Or something along those lines. Not to put you on the spot, you know. Okay. <laughs> Wait, breathe, breathe. It's okay. Um, the, the lead-up is uh, that they're, they're really embarrassed by Neville's uh, Mimulus Mimbletonia, I think. Isn't that, and then she... The, these guys know. <laughs> oh, in the books. Hungry. I hope there's pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I made my day. I'd say she's got a real sweet tooth as well, because... I, I, I'm kind of like that, so I'd prefer to eat the meals backwards. I just want to get to the good bit. You know? Yeah. She's someone who doesn't try and... She, she just goes at what she feels, so it's probably just pudding the whole time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're a bit whimsical yourself, I have to say. That's what they say. You That's kind of look like one of Harry and the Potters. <laughs> I thought you were one of them. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Tell, tell your brother Paul we said hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. Um, first of all, I want to say that y'all are all absolutely fantastic. Thanks. But um, I have a question about Melissa's prediction. I don't know if you've spoken about this yet, but uh, do you really think Alan Rickman could get some real recognition for that role? No. That he played? Yes. I, I don't think real he nomination will. is that what's like real about? like real recognition. I mean, she said that he'd get an Oscar. Yeah. Oh, man. I just. I, I mean, Oscar nomination. Yeah, nomination. But... He was awesome. You have to look at the competition too, right? Uh, so and that's what's going to come down yeah. to. And but it's different with Harry Potter because it's a whole series, you know. And the people like we're judging that as a fandom, knowing all the intricacies, all the emotions that he's portraying that are in the books. And whereas people, I suppose I don't know, but people who nominate for these awards, they just look at the film, the one film as a whole, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, it's just one film. But he, but he played everything so he, yeah, well. Yeah, it was all building up the whole time and. He had all these conversations with J.K. Rowling, so he, he knew it. it was all in those all those performances throughout the film. So, I mean, he really deserves it, but... I agree, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think the Academy is filled with Harry Potter fans, which would be great. Do you know how cool that the would tragedy, be? Oh, my gosh. Really you know, how many how many awards did Lord of the Rings actually win before the third movie? I don't 13. think they won many at all. No, it but then a, they won 13 in the one year. It was, it was all of them. All the, all the awards. All in the third one, the right? Big ones, yeah. So, I mean, it, it can be the same type of thing where we get a bunch of nominations. I think David Yates deserves a nomination. I think Alan Rickman deserves a, a nomination. Stuart Craig, the set designer. Stuart yeah. Craig, yes. for sure. Alexander yes. Desplat. Eduardo Serra, who did the uh, cinema photography. I think one thing that's going for Alan Rickman is that he's so well-respected in the British film world. I mean, he's a legendary actor. He's, he's had uh, quite a few amazing roles outside of Harry Potter, too. So maybe the people, the, the, the what is it called, the, the Academy, will look at, you know, will look, wow, Alan Rickman, he's got a, quite a great career, and he did a good job with part two. 
We'll see. I, I'd also like to say that the producers, David Heyman and David Barron, you don't realize how much work they do. They basically don't leave the studios during filming and pre-production and post-production, and they make sure the story's protected, everything um, mm -hmm. goes through them. So they really deserve it. They've just devoted their whole lives to Harry Potter, and their families too, you know? They, they're just brilliant. They're really brilliant men. They're such fans too. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, we had David Heyman on MuggleCast a few months ago, and he was just so much fun. Mike and Eric interviewed him, and we played a Dueling Club segment with him, you know. <laughs> and he was What's that, Andrew? Played a Dueling Club segment? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, should, we should do that do again. Do you want to do a Dueling Club we segment? do that again. Avana, could you do it? Avana. Uh, no, you don't want to do it? Oh, okay. Well, you, we can do a live one anyway. Uh, Eric, you want to lead it? Sorry? You want to lead the Dueling Club segment? The Dueling Club? Yeah. I mean, sure, we could all take turns off each other or... Let's just do the... one. Let's just do one? Yeah. All right, who's, who's playing? Micah. Can we be teams? Oh. You want to oh, do teams? We... Teams. Okay, all right, then you three against us three. Okay. Team Dueling. This is... Wow, this is brand new. So, does, uh, does J.K. Rowling endorse this? For those listening uh, and those in the audience who are not familiar with the segment or could use a refresher, ah. the Dueling Club is very visual tonight. Yeah, There are two opposing teams. Um, we decide on a character that we're going to announce, and when, it is, when the flag is drawn, we both announce a character more or less at the same time, and then we're stuck with those characters. We have to defend those characters based on what we know from the films and the book series, who would win in a duel. Um, it's pretty much... Different than what I was thinking. Oh, oh okay. so well, it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, but, right. but not really. So let's. Oh. let's <laughs> yeah. Who do you guys want? Genuine Julian, what? Uh, who do you guys want well, for your. Uh, just 10 seconds. We'll pick a character. You guys pick a character. Who's saying it? Do we also like. What are we doing? Just thinking of a character uh, to defend. Okay, we have our selection. Do you guys have yours? Uh, not yet. One more, five more seconds. Um, any, any Three, two. One. You got yours? Absolutely. Okay. On, on, on three. One, two, three. Gandalf. You have a long bottom. <laughs> Gandalf? <laughs> Hang on. That was Ben's idea. Andrew Sims is breaking canon. That was just a joke. That was just a joke. Okay, who's your real character? Uh... You said the other, the other bearded white Dumbledore? Bearded guy. Yeah, him. Did you change? Huh? You can't change. Well, well, well we're not really Gandalf doing Gandalf because yeah, he's not in Harry Potter. Really Actually, you should have to stick by your Gandalf versus Neville Longbottom. <laughs> they chose the rules. Well, you have to do this, Ben. This is all you. Now, G for clarification, are you talking about Gandalf the Grey or Gandalf the White? Huh? Both. I don't know. God. We're talking yeah. about you shall not pass Gandalf. The you shall not pass. That was Gandalf the Grey. Thank you. Gandalf's pretty much a god. Like he's like a step below a god. He's a demigod, isn't he? Yeah, that's what he is. So how is Neville going to be a demigod? It doesn't work like that. My vote is that he's got the spirit. He's got the 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 sure willingness and the sheer the the wit to do it. He's a Gryffindor, and Gandalf yeah, is not. Yeah, the wit a isn't going to help him. The, the, the wit will help him none when Gandalf blasts him across the Great Hall or wherever this duel is taking place. 
Well, here Gandalf does his staff and he breaks that bridge in half, right? Right. Well, didn't the bridge fall in Death Valley too? And never yeah. came out of that. Never came back. And, and they both tried to stop people from passing. But honestly, who had the better bridge bridge destruction scene? I think it was Gandalf. Neville. Neville. I think it was Neville. Gandalf. Neville. With you shall not pass. Boom. Well, so Neville. Gandalf's got his wizard stick, which I'm sure has a better name. Uh, <laughs> Neville's got the sword of Godric Gryffindor, probably older. Yeah. And but, they but, chose him. Gandalf probably just picked up a stick and said, I'll use this. This is fine. But didn't come out of a half, did it? Gandalf has the experience, though, whereas Neville's like 12. He's new. Gandalf's going, Gandalf is going after one little bog rod, and Neville's going after a thousand Death Eaters chasing him. In fact... Neville doesn't single-handedly kill a thousand Death but, Eaters. But, if he did, then maybe he could but, beat... Gandalf. When Gandalf sees the, the, the armies that uh, coming to Helm's Deep, or he knows there's trouble, he decides, oh, I'm going to go run off. I'll get reinforcements, but you'll see, you'll hear from me in about a week. <laughs> and he just, he just disappears. Neville takes his sword of Gryffindor out, and he slices anything that comes his way. All right. Well, I think I so, know the answer. Gandalf but we'll died. At, that's okay. We'll, we'll let the audience choose. Uh, Gandalf. Wow. Yeah! yeah! Good night, everyone. Okay. This- Neville. <laughs> Okay, their argument was not compelling at all. How can you pick Neville? Gandalf the Great, come on! Because yeah, we're at we're at LeakyCon. We're not at uh, we're we're not at TolkienCon. Neville isn't real. Gandalf isn't real. And that's how we play um, the dueling club. Well, to to wrap up today, we mentioned box office before, but I wanted to mention there is a new number out today. Um, Deathly Hallows Part Two made forty three million in the midnight box office, which is a new record. That, that, that beats Twilight, our Twilight friends. Yes. That beats them. Yeah, that, that beat the 30 million. So. so that's what we have, everybody, for today. Thanks for coming out. Ivana, thank you so much for Ivana. joining us. Yeah.